0: This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of 91. The value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. In South Africa, 91 is an authorized financial services provider. Every year, twice a year, JSE and LSE listed 91 hosts a roadshow and it's called Taking Stock. And every year, twice a year, the highlight of Taking Stock is Jeremy Gardner's presentation that takes you around the world. If you weren't lucky enough to attend the recent Taking Stock, fear not, because Jeremy Gardner is with me now. What was the mood, Jeremy? Because we've we've hosted a few of these things ourselves. I'm um, Sad I wasn't there this year, but there must have been a very different mood after the six months we've just been through.
1: The mood is very depressed. You know, Q2 consumer confidence was at um, back to 1985 levels. And I mean, that's, I just think that, I think that's, granted that was in the middle of lockdown five, but I think, I think we're being over pessimistic there um, in terms of that, because that takes us right back into the middle of apartheid. Um, South Africa was a pariah of the world. Uh, The United Nations has just imposed sanctions on South Africa. So we're not nearly as bad as that. Um, So, I think that the mood certainly is very bad, but we must remember that this was lockdown. Um, This is not the new normal, but people started to actually think that this is what their lives were going to be like. This was the peak. This was the storm. We're now through the storm um, and things are going to start feeling a bit better towards the end of the year.
0: Well, let's hope so. But of course, there is a small event that is going to affect everybody's life, whether you're a voter, whether you're an American or whether you're someone in China or someone in South Africa. And that is the U.S. presidential election, November 3rd. And I have to confess, I've become a little bit obsessed with it, Jeremy. I woke up at about half past three this morning and I watched the brilliant speech from President Barack Obama. And although I don't want to get political, I thought to myself, goodness me, this is what we used to have and we didn't really appreciate it. But the U.S. elections are an incredibly important influence on the world's economies and markets and in particular South Africa's, I would have thought.
1: Huge. And you, as you say, the contrast between Obama and um... President Trump is just enormous. But the problem Trump faces, and in America, the incumbent president plus a strong economy equals re-election almost every time. Carter was the only exception. So all he had to do was have the economy strong, which he had at the beginning of the year. Then along in April came a virus, and it will march. And then April, 20 million people lost their jobs. And now he sits with a situation where unemployment is at 80-year highs and the, the economy has been hammered. So he's got a problem. Also, the other problem that he's got is that This time, he's not just going to be judging the economy, he's going to be judging the economy, protests and corona, none of which he's covered himself in glory with. Also interesting is in the six previous elections that were preceded by a recession, five of them led to a government change. Um, So you can understand why he's nervous, because it's going to be a lot tougher than it actually should have been for him.
0: What would happen if Joe Biden and his running partner, Kamala Harris, what happens if they get in? They're very slightly ahead in the polls at the moment, maybe four or five points, and things can change, of course. What would they be the impact on the economy and, more importantly, in the short term anyway, the markets?
1: They're slightly ahead at the moment, 9%. Um, they've got to be 6% ahead in order to win because of the electoral college system. But as we know, the polls are notoriously unreliable, ask Hillary Clinton. If they got in, um, then you'd probably they'd probably bring back Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, uh, maybe a Secretary of State. So they'd definitely be more socialist slant. Um, they would take back some of the tax cuts that Trump gave to the wealthy and to big business. They'd go after big tech, pharma, banks. Um, so interesting, a Trump victory would probably be better for markets But I think a Biden victory, probably better for the world.
0: Yes, indeed. What about Corona? The Corona situation in the United States is appalling. I had to laugh when Mr. Trump said, uh, look at what's happened in New Zealand. There's been a big outbreak there. And in fact, I think it was nine people had contracted the virus, having had a 100 day zero infection rate. But the point is that 170,000 Americans have lost their lives because of it. And in Europe, it's flaring up again. What do you make of Corona at the moment and its effect?
1: Well, the problem is that in America, they've got the highest infections in the world. And a lot of that, I'm afraid, has to be put down to leadership. He was dismissive of it from the beginning, I think because he saw it upsetting his election year. Um, they were also over-eager to reopen. He was pressurizing the governors. The people were also pressurizing the governors. Um, they turned masks into political tool. If you're a Democrat, you wore one. If you're a Republican, you didn't. Lack of social distancing. We saw... Memorial Day weekend, 4th of July weekend, um, just no social distancing. But I think the most important thing is that not, they just didn't follow science. Not only did they not follow science, but he actively contradicted his scientists and his medical advisors. And I'm afraid that's why they have wound up where they are. And he's probably going to be judged for it in elections because they're going into winter now. Yes. And that's a problem. You would think it would be good because the virus doesn't like cold climates. But... When, people, when it's winter, people go inside, they close the windows, and the disease spreads. And as a CNN analyst said the other day, they need to get the infection rate down before then, because otherwise the deaths could become Dickensian in number.
0: Yes, they could. Uh, That's a very good way to describe it, actually. And and talking about Dickens, what about the United Kingdom? You are listed on the London Stock Exchange, 91, that is. And the deaths are starting to pick up a little bit again. And I don't blame politicians that much because they're dealing with something that they've never had to deal with before. They don't understand. But there has been a little bit of, um, I'd say, I think the word is a spurious approach to Handling the virus in the u k Boris Johnson again hasn 't covered himself in glory. What do you make of it
1: no I, I mean I agree with you. I feel sorry for governments no No government wants to handle this, and my advice to our government to any government would just be to follow science and to follow global best practice um, but we 'll get to that when you discuss South Africa just on the u k as you say the death hmm. the proportionate amount of death has been very high, um, like the americans they 've got a very high percentage. So I think it's 65 percent overweight and obese. Americans are 70 percent, plus comorbidities. So it's a population roughly the same size as South Africa. Um, But, you know, we've had about 10,000 deaths. They've had about 100. I'm not sure exactly what the number is, but it's high. Um, They've got the highest. Their economy has been hammered. Uh, Second quarter GDP down 20 percent. They're in the worst recession since, I think, in about 100 years. Uh, Worst recession on record. Um, They've also had the worst economy on record. um, And they've also spent an enormous amount trying to protect against it. Back in January, their deficit for the year, the amount they're going to spend more than they bring in in taxes, was about £5 billion. They just had to revise that to £370 billion because of things like the furlough scheme. Um, so it's cost them a hell of a lot. Their debt to GDP is going to go through 100% this year. Um, plus, they've got the worst affected economy in Europe. So, it hasn't, so it's been tough on them, both from a health perspective and also economically.
0: Let's go to China now, because there's obviously the, the backdrop of a new Cold War between the United States, politically driven, I think, and China. But now China's economy is bouncing back very, very strongly indeed. But again, we have that backdrop of political tension. Again, China is so important for South Africa.
1: Yeah, China's bounced back very nicely. Um, I think they've come through this faster than everyone else for two reasons. One, stricter lockdowns. Apparently, when the Chinese government tells you to go home and stay at home, you don't leave the house. And also because their company's largely state-owned. So when they say we're closing for corona, you go home, and when you get a WhatsApp saying come back, you come back and the door's open to the factory Your desk is there, your job is there, and the company's still there, whereas in the West, a lot of people might come back to a job that isn't there anymore. So they were down 6.8% first quarter, up 3.2% second quarter. So it's a perfect V. Their problem, though, is that there's attitudes towards China have hardened. Last year with the, with the trade war, it was just Trump against China. Now there's a much broader consensus against China for two reasons. People are cross with China because of the coronavirus, whether it leaked from a biosafety lab or from someone eating an, a wild animal from a wet market in Wuhan, it's still unacceptable. And then also just what is going in, on in Hong Kong at the moment. People not happy about that. Trump stripped Hong Kong of their special trade status, a big problem for Hong Kong, um, because they're a massive exporter. And if they now have to be subject to the same tariffs as China, like 10 or 30 percent, that's a problem. So they've, they've, got, they've got issues going on there at the moment. Fortunately for South Africa, though, we don't have to choose between Beijing and Washington. Britain has had to choose. Um, they've had to cancel Huawei's implementation of the 5G deal, um, infuriating the Chinese no one really cares what we get up to. You don't want to have to choose between the, two, the world's two biggest economies. Mm. We can actually carry on trading with both. We might actually pick up some trade if they're
0: fighting with each other. But we have to look at South Africa now from a domestic point of view. There's no growth. There's no inflation, which is a good thing. The RAND has gone from 14 to 19 and a bit in March. I think it was now down to uh, very close to breaking 17, actually. But the point is the currency is under pressure, although in an uptrend at the moment. There's so much going on, Jeremy, and we, we seem to be shooting ourselves in the foot consistently with both domestic issues and also how to deal with what's going on internationally. Your view yeah. on South Africa, because you, let's face it, you are an optimist.
1: Yeah, I generally am an optimist. Um, and I will say up front that we could be a hell of a lot worse off. I mean, can you just imagine if we had the previous regime um, that we had up until 2017, um, if we had Jacob Zuma, Des, Fenroy and that team managing our economy you know i think i think as i said in the beginning i think it's very tough for any government to be doing this um and my advice to government would just be stick to science and keep to global best practice it's when we go off and we start doing interesting little things like banning tobacco which hasn't been done anywhere else in the world that we lose out in valuable tax revenue and also you, i think the public just get irritated But very simply, we need to get growth going. In order to get growth going, we've got to create an environment that people want to come to. What do people want? They want policy certainty. Now, we hear that all the time, some examples of that. For instance, the public sector wage bill. Normally, the public sector wage bill is 48 cents of every tax trend Because our tax take this year is going to be smaller by about 300 billion, it's now going to be 60 cents of every tax trend. That is unacceptable. So we can't carry on like that. But good to see government pushing back on that. Um, you know, that's paying the salaries of 1.3 million people. That's 2% of our population, 60% of our tax rate can't do. Also, tackle state owned enterprises. But I'm pleased to say it looks like that's starting to happen, pushing back on SA, pushing back on Denel. That's, that's necessary. We just, and I think the focus has become now because we just don't have the money anymore. Uh, we need to promote growth, jobs. Those are the sort of things we need to be doing. But as I say, fortunately, I think we've got the right people in charge to make those decisions Kaskavadia said the other day, he said South Africa's at a crossroads. He said, if we go left, um, we go towards failed state. If we go right, we start the long, hard road to economic recovery. And I think he's right. We are at that much of a crossroads. But the good news is that the people in charge, um, the president, the finance minister, the head of the Reserve Bank, um, we've got the right team in there. Now they've just got to make the decisions and they've got to stop being too consultative because there are people within the party that would like us to start p- p- printing money and take us towards Venezuela well and Argentina.
0: Do you believe that corruption is still rife in South Africa, though, at the, uh, at the upper echelons, although not quite as visible as it used to be with uh, the previous administration?
1: Look, I think I think that corruption, as, as at the moment it just feels like corruption is everywhere. Um, the sort of smash and grab that happened with the COVID funds was just not acceptable. Um, I think the problem is the president inherited a corrupt system. We all know that. Um, it had actually been institutionalized by the previous, um, by, the, by Jacob Zuma's government. Um, so the first thing that they had to do was fix governance and fix the institutions. And that's, gonna, that's been taking time. It's taking time to get the right people in. Um, but it's happening. It's happening and it's happening um, too slowly, but it's heading in the right direction. Um, the difference now, I feel, between corruption now and under the Jacob Zuma era, because someone said, is it now worse than the Zuma era? Under the Zuma era, it took Amabungani and some very brave investigative journalists to highlight what was going on with the Guptas. Right. Now, when someone does something wrong, it gets identified, um, the people get suspended, and we've now got all of those various, there are nine different agencies working on, COVID, on the COVID thefts. Um, or the COVID corruption, and I think we've just got to be patient. I think it's coming, but certainly now it's a lot more transparent, a lot more open, which is why you're hearing about it all the time. But now at least it's it's government that are actually pinpointing when these things are happening, um, along with the media, obviously. Once again, can I just say, the media is so important in this country, and it's great that the media can write whatever they want about senior political figures without fear of personal retribution, because that's what keep the system clean, keeps the system clean. And we mustn't take press freedom for granted. It's a luxury and... Um, And we are just very lucky that we have it in this country.
0: Jeremy, final question, and you've got about a minute and 15 seconds to answer this. I was speaking to somebody this morning who is—he was talking to me from a beautiful coastal village. He's got a house in Cape Town in the uh, northern suburbs, uh, but now he's working from his lovely coastal village, as I characterized it as. And he says, I don't think I'm ever going to go back to work again. I maybe go there once a week just to say hello to my colleagues. How do you... At 91, a massive fund manager, reconcile yourselves to that sort of change, which has happened rapidly over the last six to seven months. You obviously have a lot of things to talk about, not only when it comes to your own personnel, but also the way that you pick stocks and the way that you choose asset classes.
1: Look, it's an entirely different world. We were very fortunate that we were able to adapt to our work from home environment, Um, almost immediately. At this stage, um, we've got staff coming back to the offices, but we're putting nobody under any pressure. Um, and we're just watching and going according to government guidelines about what is allowed. Um, but certainly, it, it is a new world. And I think you've seen across um, looking at places like New York, looking at places like London, um, there's a lot of rethinking going on about CBDs. Uh, certainly, the, the value of CBD buildings are falling. Also, residential apartments near CBD starting to fall as well. Mm. Um, but I think certainly, you know, for instance, in a place like South Africa, it would be disappointing if the CBDs were suddenly to become empty, and all of the industries that have mushroomed around them. and it'll be, So I'm, I'm hoping that we get back to some form of normal state towards the end of this year, beginning of next year. And I think it will start to feel a lot more normal once you get a vaccine. It's going to take obviously time to roll out, but I think that the world will start feeling quite a lot more normal next year.
0: Gosh, I hope so, Jeremy. Thanks so much for your time. That's Jeremy Gardner from 91.